Hello and welcome to Pathways, where you are invited to join me for a visit with leaders in personal development and cultural evolution. And we have a very special show for you today. This is your host, Paul O'Brien. Now, we know that everyone can benefit from reflecting on life, vocalizing their dreams, and moving forward on the actions that will support them and help them create the life of their dreams. Your journey to self-awareness and change can help you get past empty, unsatisfied feelings and move into authenticity and happiness. Our guest today is Alex Terranova, author of the book, Fictional Authenticity, Release Your Past, Start Living Your Real Life. Alex is a personal and professional performance coach who hosts the Dream Mason podcast and co-hosts the Coaching Show podcast. According to his website, he supports people becoming strong and successful high achievers to unmask convention, embrace the rebel within them, and more deeply explore the complex and agitated edges of our existence to create more clarity, freedom, and success. And Alex has been featured on more numerous major networks and media outlets than we can list here. Hello, Alex, and welcome to the Pathways radio show and podcast. How are you? Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. And I found your book thoroughly enjoyable, and I look forward to uh, investigating some of the ideas in there today. Thank you. But let's start out with your your transformation, which is a really, really fun to read, you know, where you evolved from being a flippant restaurant opening playboy, an all-around cool <laughs> guy, to becoming what you call a transformation junkie and now a successful life coach. How did that happen? <laughs> you know, now, like looking back, it feels like it was always meant to happen. Like I had to, I had to find the bottom, right? To, to, to work my way up, kind of I had to, or maybe find um, who I wasn't to discover who I was. Right. And that's, a, I think that's a, you know, in hindsight, that's easier said than than actually done in the moment. But how did it happen was, you know, I think I ultimately like I got really lucky because sometimes we hear stories, right? Somebody gets cancer, they get in a horrible car accident, they lose someone that they love or they get in a lot of trouble and they and they have this moment of like, oh, my God, I have to change. Right. And I'm I'm every day grateful that I was living a pretty good life. I was fortunate and privileged in so many ways. I had a good job. I had good friends. I had a great family. I was living in Los Angeles um, and then New York City. But for the most part, I was living a life that was very vain and e egotistical. So uh -huh. everything was about how other people looked, how I looked, um, popularity, being cool, uh, how much money, you know, the kind of car you drove, how much you could drink, who you could, you know, date. Um, and I didn't even realize it for a lot. I kind of think, you know, growing up in Los Angeles, I think that's like what I thought life was, right? I was just, I was just kind of going with the flow of the Los Angeles river, which is all about like the glitz and the glam and everything shiny. And um, I, I got a job in New York city. I was running a restaurant group at the time. And I noticed that I wasn't happy. I just started, that's where it started was I started to notice I was unfulfilled. I wasn't happy. I'd come home from work and I'd be complaining. I'd be upset. And I remember my, my ex at the time would, would comment like, you should do something else. 
well, I'm in my thirties. I don't know what else to do. And ultimately this came to a head. Um, I was in Costa Rica with my family and my cousin asked me, asked our whole family, what's everyone grateful for? And everyone went around and said all sorts of wonderful things about our family and their life. And it got to me and I didn't know how to answer the question. I was so in my ego, like so living from ego. I couldn't even see what I was grateful for because all I could see what I was, what I didn't have enough of. Right. right. And more. And that moment, you know, whatever you believe God, you know, like whatever, whatever your higher power is, I believe whatever that is, that energy force that binds us all in this planet and nature and everything smacked me right, right across the face. And in that moment, I burst into tears and I realized, man, I am so lucky. I am so lucky. I have my health. I have a great family. I have a great job. I have, I have money. I have water. I have food, right? I just realized how lucky and privileged I was. And in that moment, I also realized if I keep going the way I'm going with the attitude I have, the lifestyle I have, I'm going to be 50 years old. And I was 30, about 32 at the time. I'm going to be 50 years old and I'm going to be a really unhappy, miserable, alone man. Right. And I kind of saw that in a moment and just went, I got to change. And that was the beginning of, that was about eight years ago. That's when you woke up. Yeah. Well, now you're like a leading coach, which brings up the obvious question. What the hell is a coach? What, <laughs> you know, what are there, what credentials are required for that? So none, technically speaking, which I'm, I'm not the, you know, I don't love that, but, uh, I, so I actually, I have credentials. I have a, I'm a professional certified coach from the um, International Coach Federation, which is the governing body worldwide of coaching. It was not easy to get my, my professional certified coach certification. I've been working on my master certified coach certification, which is the highest level that you can get. And then again, to your, to what, to your question is, it only means something to anyone if it matters, right? There's some people that really want quarter. Uh, certifications in the coaching world. There's a lot of people that don't have a certification. I, it's not that I'm happy that I have a certification. What I am happy about is when I started my journey, I went through a program called accomplishment coaching and it was the most rigorous, most disciplined um, coach training program that I think exists on the planet. And not only did it teach me how to coach, which I'll say what, what I think that means in a minute, but it also did the work on me. So it helped me become the person I want to be to create the life I want to create. Because how can I help other people become the people they want to be and create the lives that they want to create if I'm not doing it? I, I always get a kick out of people that I'm that I hear are like I'm a money coach and they have no money, or right I'm a relationship coach and their relationships are constantly on fire. I think first first and foremost, my job as a coach is to live a great and extraordinary life. Because if I'm going to help other people live great and extraordinary lives, I have to do that first. I have to lead in that way. Now, that doesn't mean, right? That doesn't mean I have to be a billionaire. That might not be important, right? But I have to, like, I love my life. I have a great relationship. I have pretty much all the things that I need and that I want. And then I'm constantly having setting new goals and working towards those. What I think coaching is, is a, uh, a partnership between me and a client or me and a, sometimes it's a group, but often between me and a client 
where they tell me what they want. It's not what I want for them. They tell me what they want. And then we look at where they are. So there's where they are and where they want to be. And there's a gap in between. And then that's the thing that we address. We're coaching to that gap. So I'm asking them reflective questions. I'm challenging their perspective because I'm sure as, as you know, we live in a world where everybody wants to be right about everything. Well, yeah. so often our rightness is keeping us stuck in the place we are and not helping us get where we want to be. Right. And that was one of my biggest things is I was negative all the time. Well, my negative outlook on the world kept negative things happening to me, kept me see. It wasn't that it's magic, right? I know you know it a lot about manifestation. It was that when things would happen, I would see my, my perspective had me look at it from a negative perspective. So right. that's all I saw. Right. And so you could have told me, hey, there's a positive opportunity over here. And I wouldn't have been able to see it because I was like, no, it's negative. So I really you know, I, to, think, I think yeah. that's a good definition of perfectionism. You know, we, we think <laughs> of perfectionism as some kind of virtue sometimes, but really it's just always asking the question, what's wrong with this picture? And it has mm. everything to do with being right. So yeah, yeah it really feeds negativity. Yeah. So yeah, that, I mean, that's, I think getting, supporting people to get where they want to go and getting them right, getting them to see outside of their own perspective, which opens up possibility. No, part of doing that is you, you help people, um, you help them um, perceive clearly what they really want rather than what they don't want, which reminds me of an old quote um, where it says, most people don't know what they want, but they're damn sure this isn't it. So it's a yeah. lot easier to know what you don't want, but um, you help people um, get clear about what they do want. And then what do you do? You help them set goals. Is it about goal setting and, and accomplishing goals? Yeah, I think goal setting is, is relatively easy for mo most people. It's like, hey, I can just ask you to set a goal. Most people don't do it, but I can ask you to set a goal and you'll spit something out. Well, I want this much money by, by this time. I actually do something that's different. I, I really want to look at the experience someone wants to have. What's the experience you want of your life? Mm -hmm. So if you think about anything, let's, let's take, if, if you set any goal, hey, let's say you have a goal to write a book and sell a, a hundred million copies. If you're miserable writing the book, editing the book, marketing the book, publishing the book, and you sell a hundred million copies, at the end of the day, most of the time in that journey was spent doing all the things that made you miserable. Right. You had one moment where you hit 100 million copies, you celebrated that night, and then what? It's over, and now you're on to the next thing. So 99% of your experience was miserable and suffering, but yet you got the result. I believe that I want to help people actually enjoy their life, have the experience that they're excited about. Because then if they're like, man, I loved writing this book. I loved editing this book. I loved publishing this book. I loved marketing this book. I love talking about this book. But the book didn't sell 100 million copies. They still won. They still feel like, man, I just took this whole journey and it was a great ride. And, and if they do hit the 100 million copies, then it's a double win. It's like cake with the frosting. So I work in the sense of let's look at the experience you want to have of your life. Then let's look at what kind of person would you have to be to cultivate that experience of your life? So right. who would you have to become as a man or as a woman or as a person to create a life like that? And then what would be the environment? Who would be the people you'd have to get around you? What would be the types of place? Where would you have to live? What would the community, the business, whatever you'd have to build like your environment? And then what are the actions you'd have to take to construct what I call like the ship of your life to sail in that direction. 
And then we're sailing in the direction of the outcome you want. So, you know, usually we hit the outcome, but if we don't, I don't think it actually matters because you're going to love your, your life regardless. So it sounds like it might be more about being than doing. So much more about being than doing. It's I think it's probably about 90% being and about 10% doing. Okay, so now your book starts out with a great sentence that says, everyone has a voice in their head. Everyone has a voice in their heart. You are likely to be more familiar with the voice in your head. So what do you mean by the voice in your heart? Yeah. I, I think the voice in your heart is is uh, what we might call like maybe our soul or um, an inner knowing. I, I don't know what name to give it. I don't think the name is that important. The voice, well, let me say this actually. Almost every culture on earth, as far back as you go, um, believe, like has, a, has some sort of chakra system or some sort of belief that there is like an energy that emanates from the, the chest or heart area of our body that is kind of like a, there's some higher calling from that place. Right. And it's only in like our kind of westernized logic driven society that we kind of tamper that down. And we really focus on the, the brain logic voice and we make that to be everything. Right. And I'm not saying that one's not important, but what I might make the argument for is the brain voice is about keeping us safe and solving problems. Right. And it's really good at that, right? It has us, it has us safe for the most part and it solves a lot of like math kind of problems. But that voice does not care about our happiness or our joy or our passion. It'd rather be right and have the logic to back it up than us be happy. It'd rather be right and have it than be in love. And the voice in our heart, I think, is that voice that says, go apologize to your partner. Even if you think you're right, that voice says, you know what? I think maybe I could take a little bit less profit in my company to have my employees be happy because right. ultimately that's probably going to have them want to work harder and come back. Right. Right. Um, would you say, I, that, yeah. would you say that the voice in your head is uh, really what's driving what you call fictional authenticity? Yeah. I think the voice in our head is like, a is become manufactured over time. So fictional authenticity is the idea that we grow up and, Everything that happens to us, every input, the, the, the family, the culture, the media kind of grooms us into the person that we think we are. And one of the things that's particularly powerful that you point out in the book is childhood trauma. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, everything that happens. So childhood trauma really like gets embodies in us. It like lock, lodges itself onto us. And so it, it creates a narrative of who we are or who we aren't which we right. all have, we all have some story, right? Every single person on this planet can tell you some story about, oh, I'm not that kind of person or I am that kind of person. Right. And if the, if the thing that, if you are the way that you think you are and that's working for you and you're living your great life, then that keep going that way, right? I wasn't, and I think most of us aren't. So it's, so how do we kind of peel back the layers of that fictional authenticity to find out what's really underneath? Like, if we hadn't been, you know, clobbered by all those things that happened in our life, who might we be or who would we be? What I really give people the opportunity to do is maybe we'd never know, but we could actually create who we are and who we want to be versus 
having our lives be defined by the things that happen to us. Yeah, and usually the basis of the stories that we tell ourselves uh, that are based on what happened to us in childhood, it's almost always based in fear is what you write and you call them fear stories. Um, I thought that was uh, really profound. And, and, you know, let's say that you're a person who's afraid of swimming, for instance. And then you say, that's just me. I don't need to swim. You know, I can avoid swimming. Isn't right. that a, is that a legitimate, I mean, does everybody have to overcome their limitations, uh, um, you know, or, or their fears? Is it okay to accept that I'm limited in some way that I learned when I was a kid and, you know? Yeah, I mean, is I, sure it's okay. I think it's totally, you know, who am I to, to, to judge or tell someone that it's not okay, but where I might look is, um, it's funny you brought that, that you bring this, that that's your example. I just finished reading Will Smith's autobiography um, called Will. And he talks about how he had this deep fear of the ocean or, or, and swimming. And he had made up a story in his childhood that he had almost drowned. And the story wasn't even true. He realized at some point it was, it was completely contrived. And in working with a coach, and I don't know if it was coach or a therapist, he saw that like how limited his life to a degree had become because of his not being willing to go in the ocean. The ocean, let's say, is like the is the biggest net, net natural aspect of nature on this planet. Yeah. And and I don't know about you, but like I, I mean, you live in Hawaii. I know that when I'm near the ocean, when I put my feet in the water, when I get in there, something it shifts something for me. There's an energetic. And, and he kind of talks about that, that him overcoming his fear of water in the ocean opened up his, it didn't just open up that, it opened up all these other areas of life for him. And I think that's the thing is, does it matter if you're afraid to go swimming or you don't like going swimming? No, there's things I don't like to do or that I'm afraid of. But the, the, the mindset that keeps me afraid or keeps me conditioned by my fear is controlling other aspects of my life that might not be helping me. It might be limiting me in my relationships or my business. That tendency to define yourself uh, according to your, your, your limitations based on your core beliefs that you're not even you know, yeah. kind of subconsciously programmed. Yeah. 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 So you, you talk about, you actually say that being realistic is negative and pessimistic. <laughs> yeah people don't like this i um because i used to say i was a realist people would i would say i'm not negative i'm a realist you know there's always going to be problems or there's you know uh this is just the way people are and what i notice is i've never heard a realist or someone who's realistic say realistically this is going to go great people who are realistic or realists always point out how things are going to go wrong. Right. Well, then how, then, so what you're saying is that to be realistic is to be negative or that things are going to go wrong. You just don't want to identify as someone who's negative. So you created a new label, which is totally fine. I think the labels are all silly anyway, but re, to, to identify as realistic, consider is like very limiting because what is realistic? Right. What's realistic to you and to me are very different. 
there's somebody who's five feet tall and says it's not realistic to dunk a basketball and someone else who's five feet tall and is like, I'm going to figure out how to dunk a basketball. So realist, what is real or what is realistic is simply a perspective anyway. Yeah. And you say that the Holy Grail is loving yourself. You can, you write, you can achieve all the success in the world. And if you don't love yourself, you will need more, want more and never stop. The thing about loving yourself is it makes everything else possible. Wow. I should read my own book again. <laughs> um, uh, you know, I, I still believe that. And it's still at the core of what I do because, you know, most of the people that work with me have that, have some version of the life they want or the life that they've been working towards. And yet they're like, why do I still want more? Why am I not satisfied? And why am I not happy? And I ultimately think we're trying to use things outside of us to fill up the hole inside of us. Trying to find if, you know, if we find that person that will love us right, then we'll feel better about ourselves. If we make enough money, then we'll feel good enough about ourselves. If we get a, a certain house or a certain car, then we'll feel like we're successful enough, which will make us feel good about ourselves or safe. And ultimately, if we find that if we can learn to love ourselves and actually like ourselves the way that we are, well, we get to be happy, we get to be joyful, we get to be filled. And then all that other stuff becomes like bonus prizes, right? It's like it's extra cash and prizes versus needing those things and those things. And it's like you're pouring those things into you and it's an endless hole. You fill that hole up inside of you and you actually get to enjoy all those things. Why is it so hard for people to love themselves? It's because we, you know, we have these uh, core beliefs that we're not good enough or there's something wrong with me, uh, that kind of thing. You know, I wish I was here at the beginning of time so I could answer that question. Cause I think, you know, for whatever reason, you know, we're so far into the few, into the, into the, 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 the lineage of human beings that, you know, the, the damage that was done to me or the damage that was done to my dad, he passes down and it's like hurt people, you've heard the like hurt people, hurt people, right? My, my dad didn't have, did hit the best he could as a dad. My mom did the best she could as a mom and they both did the best they could based on the way they were parented and it all kind of, and they have their own traumas and their own things and that trickles down. And I think that we live in a world where for whatever reason, at some point back in time, we, it's like the dominoes started falling and the dominoes were trauma and not good enough and not worthy. And, you know, you had to earn respect or love or worthiness. And somewhere along there, we lost the idea that, you know, when you look at a baby, it doesn't have to do anything to get your love. You just love it. When you look at a puppy you just got, it doesn't have to do any tricks to get your love. You just love it. Where did along the line, somehow there's a moment where that we let go of that. Whereas kids, all of a sudden we have to do something to get love or we think we do or parents make us think we do. Right. And I think right. that's, yeah. Right. And that's where it happened somewhere. And I, I, I don't know why I can't, you know, I don't, but for whatever reason, that's the, 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 the world that we live in. And I think that, you know, maybe if it wasn't the case, what would be the point, right? If we were just living in a euphoric universe where everybody was happy and dandy and dancing around and celebrating all the time, we wouldn't even know what that meant because we wouldn't have the other side of it. We need the polarity. So maybe, you know, maybe the universe just makes it rough to start so we can find our way back to where we want to go. I kind of appreciate the Buddhist perspective, which is, uh, 
that this planet is a dark planet, it's a reform school. And we come here to learn the lessons that we need to learn. So do you think everybody needs coaching or counseling in order to kind of get past their programming uh, and, and, and um, evolve? I don't think everybody does. You know, I, I know a few people who I think are just like um, uniquely optimistic, are uniquely happy. You know, they've never worked on themselves. They've never, um, they've never had a therapist or a coach. They've never, it wasn't like they had perfect lives or childhoods and they just kind of are, it's almost like, you know, I don't know. They just are, are buzzing at a frequency that lets them like live and enjoy happy lives. Right. I think that that's a, that's a, a unique and small percentage of us as human beings. And then I think there's another percentage of human beings that, that need, uh, actual things, right? They need housing, they need food, they need shelter, they need water, they need safety. I think there's there's like those two that I don't think those people need coaching or therapy at first. I think they need, you know, one group doesn't need seemingly anything and the other group needs some basic survival support. But I think the majority of us that fall in the middle, I think it doesn't hurt for us to have things like therapy to work, to work out our heal, our pasts and our traumas. I don't think it hurts. And I think it really can help for us to use coaching to, to start creating the futures that we want. That's really how I see the different okay. difference. Well, we've only got a minute left, Alex, and All right. there's, so, there's so much more we could explore, but we've, it's a short show, but what can you offer some words of wisdom in closing here? Oh and man. Uh, yeah. If you, if you know that there's more for you out in life, like, you know, there's more potential, you know, there's a you that hasn't been expressed or explored. I would highly encourage you to, uh, to take on a coaching session with a coach. Most coaches worth their salt will have a conversation with you for free for that first time. And, uh, it's really all about creating the future. So creating the future starts with doing it now. So take action now and don't wait on that. I think that's what the meaning of being a dream Mason might be. And I want to be sure to tell our listeners that your website is entitled www.thedreammason.com. And they can find probably everything to do with your work in, in your works on that website. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. You can find everything there in my books, my works, and how to find me in uh, other ways on social media and whatnot. Thedreammason.com. Well, for those who may have tuned into the Pathway Show late, uh, this is your host, Paul O'Brien, author of Intuitive Intelligence, a book that shares the theme of pathways, which is personal and cultural evolution. Now, don't worry, you can play and or share this interview whenever you want via the internet or as a free podcast, and I'll tell you how in a minute. Today, we've been visiting with Alex Terranova, author of Fictional Authenticity, Release Your Past, Start Living Your Real Life. I want to say thank you to all of our listeners for tuning into Pathways, which is broadcast and streamed on the internet at www.kboo.fm, produced every Sunday morning by Donald Altman or myself at 8.30 USA Pacific Time. But even better, podcasts of today's show, which you can listen to and forward to others, are available for free at divination.com, that's spelled D-I-V-I nation.com as well as via iTunes and my YouTube channel and other free podcast servers. This is Paul O'Brien reminding you to tell your friends about Pathways Radio and Podcasts. And thanks again to Alex Terranova and to all of you listeners 
for tuning in and being a part of the Pathways Conversation.